Good morning. Good morning. I had to tuck some tissues into my back pocket because did anybody else just get wrecked by the Holy Spirit during worship today? I was like, so if I just start crying in the middle of my sermon, I'm I'm sorry, but you're gonna have to. It's his fault. Like I don't I don't know what's going on this morning, but it was so good, so good. All right, so um, I have a joke for you. What did the pirate say when he turned 80? <laughs> I'm 80. <laughs> if you don't get it, ask your neighbor. Well, and that had nothing to do with my sermon. I just I told a joke before my last one, so I thought I should keep it going and maybe make it a thing. So there you go. That was for free. <laughs> All right. So we are continuing in what book? Luke. Luke. Last week we finished up chapter 9, and this week we're going to start chapter 10. If you remember where we left off, Jesus had just been challenging those who came to listen uh, to him on what it was going to actually cost to follow him. If you remember, that was kind of a big charge that he left. And then we pick up here in chapter 10. So we are going to read starting in verse 1 through verse 16. I think it will be up on the screen behind me. All right, it says... The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. Don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality, because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, We wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon would be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. And then he said to the disciples, Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and we're here, Lord, to hear from you. Lord, we're here to hear your heart as we read through this passage, Lord. God, would our hearts be soft and tender, and would it be just, um, Lord, let me just be a way of communication between heaven and earth this morning. Got to give this to you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So Jesus is sending out these disciples on mission. 
And it's the same one that he has called us to as well. Last Sunday, we talked about the cost of following Jesus, and now here are 70 that have said yes to that very call. And they're going to go ahead of him to the cities where he's going to be doing ministry on his way to Jerusalem, because we talked about that last week. Now, Jesus had turned himself resolute towards Jerusalem, and ultimately that's where he's going to be crucified. Jesus gives them instructions and directions in the passage we just read, And I think if we look, we can find that they are just as valid today as they were then. And what what are they? It's a good question. Well, as Pastor Brian Bell in his commentary so simply puts it, pray before you go, travel fast and light, and I think I would add with urgency in there, heal the sick and preach the gospel. And those instructions are the same ones that he has for all of us right here in this church this morning in Edgewood, Washington, that are saying yes to the call to follow him. Just as the disciples went ahead of him, we are going ahead of Jesus into the world that he will return to and will ultimately reign upon forever. Amen? Amen. All right, let's start with the first instruction. Pray before you go. That seems like a pretty wise first instruction. Jesus tells them in verse 2, Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers. Dan even said it this morning. The harvest is great, and we need as many of us out there telling people about Jesus as we can get. You don't think that's you? Guess what? That's you. (laughs) We are all workers being sent out to plant seed and bring in the harvest. Every single day. One of us in this room knows someone that needs Jesus, and probably more than one. We need all hands on deck, and that includes men, women, and children. And then next he says, travel fast and light. Jesus told his disciples to take nothing. Don't get busy with time-consuming things that have no eternal value. He tells them when they get to a city to get right to work in the first place that receives their blessing. And that work was their next two instructions, to preach the gospel and heal the sick. Today for us, I'm not saying that we can't do things that have seemingly nothing to do with church. Most of us here have secular jobs. We like to go on vacation. We like to travel. We have hobbies. But the two are not mutually exclusive. I think what we all need to be mindful of is when we enter each of those situations with the attitude of, I am bringing Jesus into the room, wherever we end up. If we can ask the Holy Spirit to give us a heart to always be asking him, is there anyone that I may encounter, wherever that is, that needs for me to make that introduction? That needs me to be sensitive to his voice when he points out someone or tells me to pray with them or just strike up a conversation. I think we, all of us here, should always be the ones that have their eyes looking for an opportunity to minister the Father's heart to those around us. Along with that, they were told in advance that there was going to be a lot of rejection ahead. He told them to preach. 
Share the good news. But don't you just know that there are people out there that are going to reject you and what you have to say. And it's really hard when someone comes against your faith because it feels so very personal, doesn't it? Jesus says in verse 16, Anyone who accepts your message is accepting me, and anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. If people reject you, and they will, never stop praying for them. I want you to hear that. Never stop praying for them. But you got to keep going. Again, harvest is great, church. Don't give up, but move on. It sounds really harsh when Jesus tells them to literally shake the dust off of their feet. But given the urgency of their and our mission, again, they and we must go. So Jesus gave the disciples some pretty specific instructions, and I couldn't help but think that he must have had to do that intentionally, because if he didn't, they would probably just end up doing all the things. I mean, how often are we all guilty of that? In my house, we call it the squirrel effect. Have you guys seen that movie where the dog's going and he's squirrel over here? He's going after the ball. He's squirrel over here. All of you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Pretty much every morning, I give the same instructions to my youngest child. Hey, why don't you get up and get ready? Why don't you go in the bathroom? Dan's shaking his head emphatically. You know. Go in the bathroom, brush your teeth, brush your hair, put some clothes on, and then meet me upstairs for breakfast. Five minutes later, I come back downstairs, and she's been distracted by, oh, pick anything. <laughs> Literally anything. And she might have set out to go to the bathroom and do what I asked, but somehow, somewhere along the way, she lost her focus because something else caught her attention. And can't you just see the disciples as they get into a new town? They're checking out the local markets and artisans, maybe sampling some regional cuisine, shopping for some new sandals, somehow finding themselves signed up for the no-pressure-to-buy-sales presentation on the vacation property on the Mediterranean. <laughs> and what was the solution to this? Well, Jesus intentionally sent them out in pairs. We see this other times in Scripture. If we back up just a little to chapter 9, Jesus has sent out the 12. Now, Luke doesn't mention here that they're sent out in twos, but if we look at the parallel passage in Mark in chapters 6 and 7, this is what it says. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. In Luke chapter 7, verse 18, this is right after Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount and he was doing a lot of miracles and healing people. It says, The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything that Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord. And then one more in Matthew 21.1, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. 
They went ahead and they got the colt that Jesus would ultimately ride on during his entry into Jerusalem. So the Bible is full of examples of people being sent out in twos and sometimes even larger groups. Why was this so important? Why do we need more than just ourselves when we set out to do whatever it is that the Lord has called us to do? Again, we're going to look at scripture. Let's look at Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. This is a very familiar passage. Most of you probably know it, but it says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So in light of Jesus' commission of his disciples here and our commission as present-day followers, I want you to think about this. As I was praying about this message, um, the Lord just gave me a vision of a pair of glasses. And um, he told me to look at it from a very anatomical, physiological point of view, this togetherness. And he gave me the word focus. And I started looking up why we have two eyes instead of one and why that's important. And here's what I found in a very compact statement. Eye coordination is the ability of both eyes to work together as a team. Each of your eyes sees a slightly different image. Your brain blends these two images into one three-dimensional picture. So basically, if you only have one eye, you're not seeing things as they 100% really are all the time. It takes the addition of that second eye and a slightly different way that it sees to make a complete and accurate picture of what's in front of you. Church, we need each other to keep our focus. Just the way the disciples needed to keep their focus. Jesus was sending them out on mission. Now, there are other benefits to ministering together that help. There's power in two. There's also protection in two. When there are two, there can also be encouragement, empowerment, accountability, and witness. We have to put into context here the mission that Jesus is sending these disciples out on. He's just been all over the place, and he's been uh, performing miracles and preaching to huge crowds, and he's sending them out into these cities to be his witnesses and to tell about the Messiah and the coming kingdom. And in biblical times, there was a rule where you could not convict somebody without an account of two witnesses. If two people were witness to the account, it would be considered true and believable, and that's found in Deuteronomy. Jesus was sending them out so that their witness could be validated by each other. When they started telling townspeople of all the miracles and teachings they had personally seen and heard, if there had just been one of them, they probably would have been dismissed. John 8:17 says, and this is Jesus speaking, 
Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. So two people provide credibility. And don't you know that when we're telling people about Jesus, we need some credibility? And this is just a side note, but I don't know in this day and age what's more credible than your own story. To share from a very personal experience that people can relate to the life-changing power of God. So share your story with someone this week, would you? (laughs) Okay. Two people also provide encouragement and empowerment. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, So encourage one another and build each other up, just as you are already doing. So we're going to read a great story. I'm sure, again, another one that we all know from Exodus about two men that just did that for their friend. So in 17.8-13, While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, Choose some men, and I will go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hand. So his arms held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. You guys, we need each other when the battle is raging and we've become tired and weary. Support each other. Laura just went over this verse two weeks ago. In chapter 9, Jesus says, Anyone who is not against you is what? Is for you. Please, can we just stop the competition among each other? Can we stop arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom? Sure, we can, we can roll our eyes at the disciples and laugh at them all day long for having that same argument. But we ourselves are also guilty. Well, who does she think she is leading such and such? Don't they know who she voted for? Why are they letting him sing on the worship team? I could do so much better. I can't believe they're having a fundraiser for that youth church camp over there and they have a secular band playing can we just stop we have so much more that we are for together your brothers and sisters are not against you other christian denominations are not against you christian denominations are not against you we are for jesus And we, especially LifeSpring, we are for each other. Can we just stand beside each other and hold each other's arms up when the battle is raging? It says, encourage each other by praying together. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Dan, would you come up here for a second? Chris, would you come up here for a minute? We have... 
a dear sister here with us this morning that many of you know and some of you don't know, but this is our friend Chris Priscilla, and it is really bright up here. We are going to exercise being for each other and encouraging each other and empowering each other and praying for each other right now because that's what we do, right? Amen. So Chris has recently been diagnosed with cancer of the larynx. Is that correct? Um, And this is a new diagnosis for her, an unexpected, very unexpected diagnosis. Um, So we are going to pray for Chris's healing right now. And also, we're going to pray for Chris up here, but if there's anybody here also that needs healing this morning, would you please slip your hand up? And if there's somebody close by to those people, Sandy's not just, that's actually your hand is raised. Yes? (laughs) She's had surgery. So yes, so she needs, then there's some other people around here. Could you please gather around them and we're going to pray all at the same time, guys. So gather around. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Lord, we just lift up our sister and we lift up everybody else that's in here this morning, Lord, stepping out and saying, I need a touch from you. God, we come together as brothers and sisters and as one body, Lord, and we say, we know your arms are tired and weary, but we're going to hold up your hand. We're going to come alongside you and we're going to keep you strong while you walk through this battle. And so, Lord, would your healing power just flow through this place this morning? Would your Holy Spirit just come and do what we know he can do, what you promised he would do, Jesus? Would you bring restoration to bodies, Lord? Would you just bring vigor and life to those places that it's lacking, Father? We just pray that your healing hand would just touch each and every one that needs it this morning, Jesus, right here, right now. We stand on the promises, Lord, that where two or more are gathered, Father, there you will be. Lord, we pray that you will heal right now, Lord. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We give you the glory, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your powerful and holy name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. We receive that. You're welcome. Love you, Chris. Amen. So good. That's why we exist right there. Woo! <laughs> All right. There's accountability together. (laughs) That's one of those words we're not really sure if we like it. Oh, we know in our heads that it's important and that we need it, but do we like it? The Bible tells us of the importance of it in Scripture. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Guys, we need to stop pretending that we have it all together. And that we do it right all the time. I don't care who you are. You need someone in your life that's going to call you on your garbage. But that person also needs to be a safe space where you can expose your garbage. And they're going to help you go through it. I'm sure we've all experienced the power of accountability in our lives. And probably even the dangers 
and pitfalls of not having it. But let's work together. Pray together. Pray together for one another. There's protection together. That verse in Ecclesiastes said, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. As I was reading, this image popped into my head, and I love it. (laughs) Two superheroes standing in position to fight, and at the same time, they've got each other's back. Next time your friend or someone else asks you to pray for them, I want you to picture this. Jesus told his disciples here when he was sending them out in verse 3, Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. We are on mission, and it's not safe. The enemy is really, really real. And he wants to destroy us. Sometimes when we've been wounded or have come under attack, we need each other to come to our defenses and cover us with prayer and encouragement. We need someone to help hold up our shield when the arrows are flying. Wonder Woman and Batman, back to back. Amen. All right. So Jesus is sending them out. And can't you just hear him saying, stay focused. I'm sending you out together so that you can help each other to see clearly, to not get distracted or discouraged or destroyed. You will need each other. And my takeaway for all of you from this is to seek out that person and be that person. We all need somebody like this in our lives that we can depend on, but somebody out there is depending on you being that person to them. This was their charge together. Pray, go, preach the gospel, and heal the sick. And this is our charge together. Go and pray before you do. And make disciples of all the nations with urgency. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with authority. That's our focus. And you guys, we need each other to keep it. Okay, I want to shift down to verses 17 and 19. It says, When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Okay, so the disciples have been out ministering in all of these towns and cities, and I'm thinking by the sounds of things that it had been going pretty well. They were coming back pretty high on a mountaintop experience of seeing the power of Jesus' name perform miracles and cast out demons. I can just see it. Okay, Here's, I'm a disciple. Jesus, Jesus, oh, man, it was crazy. This guy was all, and then we were all like, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And then he was all like, no, not Jesus. And then we were all like, yeah, Jesus. 
And then the demon came out and ran away, and the guy was all, thank you, praise Jesus. And then we were all like, yeah, high five. All pumped up, you know. And then Jesus, Jesus was like, yeah, you guys, that was pretty cool. And good job. You know, I even saw that happening in the spiritual realm. I gave you that power, remember? But listen, let's not stay there. There's a lot more that you should be high-fiving and freaking out about. Like, you're going to be with me forever. And isn't that just kind of how we humans tend to roll? Whatever it is that's happening right now, whether it's a mountaintop experience or a valley, we tend to get really narrow in our view of life. It's the things that are right in front of us that we see because they're right there. And we can't see anything beyond that. And that's when, oh, we need Jesus. And that leads me to my second point, that we need Jesus to shift our perspective. I read this definition. Perspective is the way individuals see the world. It comes from their personal point of view and is shaped by life experiences, values, their current state of mind, the assumptions they bring into a situation, and a whole lot of other things. We are human, and we live in a world where we see with our physical eyes and experience with our physical bodies, and it forms and constantly affects our perspective. But it's continually shifting and changing. But Jesus. Jesus is telling us to look beyond all of that and keeping what our eyes see, what shapes our state of mind, keeping it all fixed on him. It says in Hebrews, let us fix our eyes on what? On Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Ephesians 2, 4, 6 says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, not on what is in front of us, but what is beyond us. We keep our focus on the kingdom and the promise he gives us that we will be seated with him in heavenly realms so that here on earth we won't grow weary or lose heart. Becky Johnson of Jesus Culture tweets, We feel bigger than what we are looking at when we just get a different perspective. Do you need a different perspective this morning? Do you need to feel just a little bit bigger than what you're looking at right now? That thing that has your attention, your focus, your worry, that thing that you can't see past, You don't know how you're going to overcome it. 
how could Jesus ever love you because of it? That you don't know how you're even going to make it spiritually, financially, physically. Let Jesus shift your perspective. Hear him when he says to you, rejoice because your name is registered in heaven. I love the way the Message Bible writes this verse in John. It says, I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart. I have conquered the world. We feel bigger than what we are looking at when we just get a different perspective. I'm going to have the ushers come forward. They're going to pass out a picture to you. Worship team, you can come up too. So I'm handing you all out these magic eyes pictures as a reminder of how things change when we have a shift in our perspective. How when you see just what's in front of you, what your eyes naturally want to focus on, you see something, yes, but it's very flat and two-dimensional and doesn't really look like much of anything but maybe a cool wallpaper or a pattern for a shirt if you're really brave. And some of you are going to be really mad at me. And if that's you, I'm sorry. Come and see me later, and I'll try and walk you through this. I'll help you. I've been on the frustrating end of this, and it's very frustrating. (laughs) But hear me when I say this. When you take this picture and you stop focusing on what you see right away, and you try to look beyond that, looking through what your eyes want to focus on and trying to see it from a different point of view, one that does not come naturally, you'll begin to see it change. Maybe slowly at first, or maybe not at all. But as your eyes start to see a glimpse of a hidden image, that's where your focus will start to shift. And hopefully, once you lock in on that, the entire new picture will emerge, and you'll see something that you didn't see before. How when you change how you see it from here to here, what seems mundane and boring here is amazing and cool here. So let Jesus change your perspective this morning. Jesus finishes this encounter by praying to the Father, and then he speaks to the disciples one more time. And he says, Blessed are the eyes that have seen what you have seen. Your eyes. There's two. Keep your focus and perspective. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord, that we are not on mission alone. Lord, that as you're sending us out, you are equipping us, Lord. You're empowering us but you're sending us out together so that when one falls short, the other can stand strong. When one of us is weak, Lord, the other can come alongside and lift them up. 
that when the attacks come, Lord, that we'll have those that will stand back to back with us and fight alongside us. Lord, that will help us with our accountability, Lord. That when we need to just get something off our chest, that we have that person that will pray with us, walk through it with us. Lord, would you help us keep our focus? The harvest is great, Lord, and the workers are are few. Lord, help us to go. But as we go, Lord, and as we go and preach the gospel and heal the sick and share you with everybody that we encounter, Lord, would you help our perspective be continually shifted onto you? And not what's naturally right in front of us, Lord, but what is supernaturally beyond what we see. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.